Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. I totally should have done that for you. Sorry. I wouldn't know how to begin to do that, actually. Uh, I need to dismiss break line at this time. So if you are in grades four, five, or six, you can make your way to the back and through the uh, lobby there and up the stairs. And I know they've got something great lined up for you. Also, I just want to mention to you, if it is your first, second, or third time here at River of Life, we have a card in the seat back in front of you. And if you will take that card, fill it out, bring it back to the new here table, uh, they have a special guest, uh, gift that they would love to give you. And we just appreciate uh, your willingness to do that, and we're excited that you're here. It is obviously Thanksgiving weekend, and it is the day of a Grizz game, as you can tell by looking around you tonight. Uh, and uh, and so, but that's not until eight o'clock at night. I know some of you are in the house, and you're going to head right from here and get dropped off at the stadium. So I thank you for your faithfulness and still being at church. And uh, I don't envy any of you that are going to go sit in the cold. So. Um, Well, we are in a series that we call Genealogy, and if you were with us last weekend, you know that we started this series, and I want to give a little uh, disclaimer at the beginning of this, because we are looking at some stories from the Old Testament that um, some of them are a little bit rough, and so if you have kids that have chosen not to go to kids' church or are not going to break line, I'm just giving you fair warning right now. Last week, you know that we talked about Lot and his daughters and their offspring that led to Ruth, that eventually led to Jesus. And uh, some people came up to me afterwards and were very surprised uh, by that story. And tonight, we're going to also look at some stuff that just in case, if you have kids that you do not want to be in the house, now is your opportunity. I'm giving you fair warning. Um, So as we look at the genealogy of Jesus that we find in Matthew chapter one, we see that there are all kinds of people that are listed. I told you last weekend, some of you were like, you're doing a whole series on genealogy. That's the part of the Bible that I skip when I'm reading the Bible. Uh, I just want you to know there are some very interesting things as we look at the genealogy of Jesus. I do want you to know that appearance of these names does not uh, validate what they have done because some of them have done some pretty bad stuff as we saw last weekend. But I believe that it does show that God can do some amazing things with some pretty messed up people. How many of you can say praise God to that? Some of you are like, man, I am a messed up person and I'm grateful that God, not only can he use you today, but he shows us in scripture and in his geneal- in Jesus's genealogy uh, that he does that for sure. And so probably one of the most prominent people that we see in the genealogy of Jesus is David. We know that Jesus is even born in the city of David. You hear the star of David. We know that David was a king. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. We know all of those things. But I want to talk to you a little bit about David because uh, it's pretty impressive that God would allow him to be part of the genealogy of Jesus. So let's look at Psalm chapter 27, starting at verse 8. It says this, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Let's pray. God, in the next few moments, as we look at your word, I pray, Father, that you will show us what we need to see. I'm so grateful that, God, no matter where we dig into scripture, Father, you show yourself. You show who you are and who we are, and it is reflected throughout this book. 
So Father, today, as we spend some time looking at a story that may be familiar to many of us, I pray, God, that we will get something new. God, I thank you for those who are watching in jail, and Lord, I know that there are even young ladies who are watching in, in juvenile detention in Idaho, and, and God, for those who are watching in Malawi and Star Valley and in Alaska, and, and some who are just watching from home today, and those who are in the room, God, I just pray, Father, that you will, you will use your word to, to change our lives, that God, we will open our minds and our hearts to you, and that Father, as we listen, that God, it will it will be transformative inside of us. And we just praise you for that and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. So the words that I just read are words that David had written. He basically, you, throughout the, the Psalms, we see that he, he is crying out for more of God. He's wanting deeper relationship with God and we know that that's his passion. And then, and then as, as life goes on and, and David's story is one of, of being a boy that we see as a shepherd and then we see that he's anointed king and he walks through a very hard season where, where he is trying to be a good follower to Saul and eventually Saul wants to have him killed and then he's anointed to the, he's, uh, he's appointed to the place that he had been anointed and, and so life begins to happen and I believe that it catches David off, off guard. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says this, in the spring, when the kings normally went out to war, David sent Joab, his servants, and all of the Israelites. They destroyed the Ammonites and attacked the city of Reba. But David stayed in Jerusalem. So I find the wording to this, this particular passage of scripture interesting because it says that uh, it, it basically prepares us for a twist in the story. It says when kings usually go to war, David decides to forego this and he, be, he begins to forego the responsibility that God had given him. So God has elevated him to a place of kingship. He's put him in a position of power. He said, listen, uh, from a young age, he anointed him, he appointed him, he put him into this position of power. But as David begins to become more and more familiar with the power of being a king, he begins to forgo his responsibility. When we lose sight of the position God has for us, we often begin to pursue the wrong things. So David finds himself in this position where all of a sudden he is he is probably beginning to believe his, his own, uh, the, the people are, are proud of him, they love him as king, and so he's beginning to believe his own press. So it's springtime in Israel, and the nights are warm, and the air is sweet, and David has time on his hands, and he has love on his mind, and the people at his disposal. And so he stands on his balcony while men battle in a far-off place. So he should be there. He's the king. That's what they would do in that day. The king would go to where the battle is, but David is in a position where he said, you know what? I think I'm, I'm too big for that now. I think I don't need to do that anymore. And so he sends his men off to war and he stays back. And now he stands on his balcony and his, eye, his eyes fall upon a woman as she bathes on her rooftop. He looks and he likes what he sees. And so he inquires about her. He begins to ask questions. I like the way that she looks and I want more information. And so as we look in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse three, it says, uh, his servant has come back and said, that woman is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So the servant doesn't just give the information as to her name is Bathsheba, but he gives some extra information 
And I believe the reason that he gives the extra information is he's trying to protect David. Why would he tell him that, hey, this is her marital status? Hey, this is his name? Because I believe David knew exactly who her husband was. I believe that in this moment, David under, would understand, oh, this woman is married, thus she's off limits. This woman also, I know her husband, which would maybe also put him in a position where he would change his mindset. And I heard it said at one point in his life, David began to suffer from altitude sickness. Instead of being where he should be, down winning victories, he stayed in the tower. And because of that, he suffered from, from a, a, a mindset shift where he began to pursue things that would make him happy instead of things that would make God happy. It was quite a journey from shepherd to king, from the front lines to the skyline. As we see this story unfold, we see that something is changing in David. David was, was the guy who, in all situations, worshiped God. In everything that he did, he tried to please God. Even when he had opportunity, when Saul was trying to kill him, he did everything that he could to honor Saul because he wanted to honor God. And now we see that David has found himself in this position where, again, he's begun to believe his own press. This once giant slayer is now sending others to battle instead of battling for himself. Think about the transformation that's taken place. When David slayed Goliath, he wasn't even a soldier at the time. He was the lunch boy. He showed up with lunch and he realized, hey, these guys aren't, aren't fighting for God, so I'll fight for God. And now as the king, instead of being where he should be on the front lines of the battle, he stands in a, in a tower looking out over his kingdom. His pursuit was once wholly on God, and now it is only about his own pleasure. When are you putting yourself first instead of God first? When is it that you're in your life finding yourself chasing after things that will make you happy? And maybe you can think back to the time when you first accepted Christ and how excited you were about, about godly things. There wasn't an event that happened at the church that you didn't try to sign up for. Life groups, when are life groups? When are the classes happening? When can I serve? All of those things were new and exciting to you. And as you've grown in your faith, you become less and less interested in those things and maybe more and more in pursuing pleasure. And can I tell you that that's the, that's the road that we see David on. Pursuing the wrong thing will eventually take its toll. So King David knows more than anyone that, that by pursuing the wrong thing that things can collapse. He seduces and impregnates, impregnates Bathsheba. Then he goes on to murder her husband and he deceives his general and soldiers. Then he marries her and she bears a child. So to cover up, what a, the cover up appears to be complete and the casual observer detects no cause for concern. David has a new wife and a happy life and all seems well on the throne, but all is not well in David's heart. Guilt simmers. He will later describe this season of secret in graphic terms in Psalm chapter 32. It says this, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. So I want you to understand that confession is key to our success. 
So David comes to this place where he has made a mistake and then he makes another mistake to cover up his first mistake and then another mistake and another mistake and he finally gets to a place where it looks like he's completely gotten away with it. But inside of himself, something has changed and he knows it. He went from being the young man who was out in the field with the sheep playing his harp and singing praises to God to being the king but now feeling so distant and and taken away from that first love that he had. And for some of you, you may sit in this room today and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time but you sit here today and when worship is happening and and they're up here singing, break every chain and for you, you're like, oh, there's talent up there, that's great. First of all, can I just say how, how amazing it is that Pastor Seth can go away for Thanksgiving and, and the amount of, of talent and, and anointing that's still here. Can we just give them a round of applause today? It's so cool to see how God is just continuing to assemble the team of just amazing musicians and then and then even my daughter-in-law, who, just so you know, in case you don't know Sierra at all, um, she's so sweet, and she, um, she sings all the time. She sings all the time. Um, she, she, Thanksgiving, we're playing games, she's singing. Or, I mean, she's decorating the tree, she's singing. And, and she doesn't care. I mean, she'll sing at the top of her lungs coming up the stairs. Uh, so uh, I don't know why I'm telling you all that, but that's just, that's who she is. Um, but... As we look at this, we see that David was this guy who loved to worship and he loved to be in God's presence. And now all of a sudden, he, he's moved to this place of instead of pleasing God, he's pleasing himself. And now we see that in that psalm that he has come into a place where he's realizing that something has changed inside of himself. And maybe you sit here today and as you, as you participate in worship or as you go throughout your week, you realize that you feel almost distant from God. And my, my question to you is, what is it that's between you and God? What is it that's stopping you from having that feeling that you once had? Because in this moment, David has made this realization and all of a sudden now he makes this shift once again. David used to fill his days and nights with celebration of God and his goodness and now he sits high atop a city and thinks only of himself. He's forgotten God. I do want to take a moment here because we see that David goes on to marry Bathsheba and and for many of you who know the story, you know that he had multiple wives and so... um, Some of you may struggle with that because we go, well, how is that even possible? Like we see throughout the Old Testament that that men had many wives. And so I want to just address the elephant in the room for just a moment. I I read an article uh, by Alan Parr who suggested that God may have permitted polygamy to protect women. With a man off to war as often as they were, perhaps dying on the battlefield, many women were left unprotected and unsupported unless their fathers or brothers were alive and willing to support them. And with, a, with so few men available to marry, the alternative for many uh, of these women was slavery or prostitution. And so polygamy was considered better, though imperfect. And they go on to, he goes on to say in this article, and I just thought it was interesting because I know many of you might have this question after this particular sermon. But their, their family lineage if their first wife was barren and, and created, and it, would, it was a place where they would create alliances with other nations. And so 
even though, even though it's not what God wants for us, he often would allow things to happen. It wasn't his perfect plan, but what we need to also know is that God's patience does not mean that it's his permission. So as we read this, what we need to understand is I think that there are things that God allows, but it isn't his perfect plan because his perfect plan, as we see in the New Testament, is one man being married to one woman. Amen? And that's why it's dangerous the date and time that we live in because that is being messed with. And we need to understand that if we want what God says is perfect, we need to realize what that is. But even with David, uh, he stole this woman from another man. He killed, her. he killed him to cover up his sin. And now we look at this story and David, David has seduced, no mention of God. David plots, there's no mention of God. Uriah's buried and Bathsheba's married, there's no mention of God. We get the sense that maybe David has gotten away with something. But listen in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. It says this. So then the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David a story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised the little lamb and it grew up uh, with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for the guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the, man, to, to the poor man for the one that he stole and, have no, and having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah and the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you've despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. So it's interesting that David hears the story and immediately wants to, wants to sentence this guy to death. And then all of a sudden, the story gets flipped and he begins to realize that, that the prophet is actually talking about him. But what I love about this story is how merciful God is. God is so merciful. He put away David's sin rather than cover it up. He lifted it up and put it away. In Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So David gained a new understanding of grace. But can I tell you in this story, not only does God show David grace, he shows us grace. He shows us what grace looks like. Because as we, as we read this story and we begin to understand, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. So right there in the lineage is this woman. This woman who really in the story, even though she did wrong, she did less wrong because David was the man in authority at the time. 
But still, in the middle of that, David had other wives. If God said, I really want David to be in the lineage of Jesus, it would have been easier for him to pick somebody else. But instead, he picks Bathsheba. Why? Because again, just like last weekend, I think it's important for us to realize that no matter how messy you are, God can use you. No matter how much you struggle, no matter how much you've done, no matter what your past looks like, the God of the universe still sees you, he loves you, he has a plan and a dream and a desire for you. So as we look at these stories, I want you to hear that. I want that to resonate in your mind. Bathsheba married David, but she did not properly belong to him. But in the middle of this story, we just see this, this picture of God's grace. David gets called out. He begins to realize that this is the thing that's been eating at him. We see that he has this moment where he goes back and says, God, I, I need to change. I need, I need you back. I want to be back where I once was. And there's a psalm that David said regarding the time that Nathan the prophet had come after him. And David, had after he committed this adultery, and this is, this is the words that, that David writes. Psalm 51, verse 1, it says this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just for I was born a sinner yes from the moment my mother conceived me but your desire honestly from the womb teaching me wisdom even there purify me from my sins and I will be clean wash me and I will be whiter than snow oh give me back the joy again you have broken me now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You do not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and a whole burnt offering. Then bowls will again be sacrificed on your altar. There's this turning point with David and he has this moment where he cries out to God. Here's this man who as a young boy, 
was not only a worship leader to sheep, he ended up being somebody who would sing praises in the king's hall to a man who despised him. But he didn't care about any of that because all he cared about was bringing pleasure to his God. And as time progresses, we see that something changed in David. David lost it for a while. He began to pursue what the world said he should pursue. And as I was rereading this story and thinking about this message this weekend, all I could think is how many of us who call ourselves by his name have begun to stray just a little bit, have begun to pursue a little bit more of the world and pursue him just a little bit less. You see, it didn't happen overnight. It happened with time. Time away from the battlefield. Time away from being in need of him. For some of us, we've lived such an easy life. Life right now, maybe you've had a hard past, but right now you find yourself in a place where it's pretty comfortable. It's not too hard. David found himself in a place where it wasn't too hard. And because of that, he began to need God less and less and less. And then all of a sudden, this thing happens and, and, and he compounds it with just lie after lie and mistake after mistake. And as he does that, all of a sudden now, he puts himself into a place that he never thought he would be. And now we read this psalm and it's so powerful that he's saying, I, I want to be where you want me to be. I want to live the way that you're calling me to live. I don't want to be far from you anymore. So in this moment, we see that, that there's this, this place where he says, give me a clean hands. Help me, to, help me to find my joy in you again. And for some of you, I really felt like as we're going to, as we're going to, continue in this series that for some of you, you need to be in a place even today where you go, God, I want to find that in you again. It's amazing to me when I get to talk to people who maybe they've been in the church, but all of a sudden they have this moment where, the, where it clicks back on and they begin to realize how amazing God is. And everything changes in that moment. Well, David had that moment here. And I, my prayer for you is that if you've been straying, if you've been chasing things that are not important to him, if you've been pursuing your own pleasure instead of pleasing God, that tonight would be a night where you would wake up David performed well in adversity, but he stumbled in prosperity. Some of you have become prosperous in what you're doing. Some of you, you your, your job is taken off, your, your, your paychecks are getting bigger, all those things, your relationships seem good, everything seems to be good, but you can get to a place where you don't need God anymore. And that's where David was. Now, David, if you'd asked him, before he went on that balcony, if you'd asked him, how important is God to you? Oh, he's super important to me but he lost track of his position. God called him to be king, and to be king, you're on the battlefield. You're not on the balcony. And I just want to challenge you this weekend as we look at this to be in a position where you say, God, what is the position that you have for me? What is it that you're calling me to do? How am I to make a difference in your kingdom? 
There is something incredible that happens when we truly begin to seek God. When we pursue Him, He does things. When we stop playing around with our faith and we start chasing Him for real. So tonight, as we get ready to close this time out together, in just a moment, the worship team is going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a little bit more worship. But I really want to challenge you to take inventory this weekend. Where am I? Where am I at in my faith journey? Am I pursuing him? Is he really that important to me? Have I begun to chase things that will make me happy instead of being the person that will make him happy? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me for the next few moments. We're going to close this out in just a few moments, but as we get ready to do that, I just want to take a moment right now, and I wonder how many in this room right now would just be honest and say, you know, Jason, I haven't. I've been pursuing the things that make me happy. I've been doing what, it, what makes, gives me pleasure, what makes me feel better. And I haven't really been pursuing what God has for me. I just want the opportunity to pray for you tonight before we close this out. So if that's you, would you do me a favor and just lift up your hand? Because I want to pray for you tonight before we go. Yeah, thanks for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty, bud. Is there anybody else tonight that would just say, you know, Jason, that's me. Thank you. Yeah, I see you back there. Thank you. Such a powerful moment if we, if we will really trust God in this moment right now. Okay, I see you back there. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, bud. Tonight, I just want to pray over those who raised their hand. And maybe you didn't have the courage to raise your hand, but you know that's where you're at. And then as we sing this last little bit of worship together, I want to just challenge you to take a moment and say, God, I want that first love again. I want to be back where, where you want me to be. Help me to pursue the things that you're asking me to pursue. Heavenly Father, God, right now I lift up those who have made that confession. They've said, I am, I'm pursuing my stuff. God, the enemy is so good at convincing us that these things, these things that the world says are important, that they'll actually bring us some amount of fulfillment. But God, you are so good and you're so faithful that when we put our wants and our hopes and our desires in your hand, that God, you will do so much more with us than we could ever do on our own. So God, I pray for those who raised their hand. I pray for those who didn't have the courage to raise their hand. But God, I pray over everyone within the sound of my voice that right now we would be in a position where we would say, God, I want what you want. God, I want what you have. Lord, help me to set aside my fleshly desires and help me to pursue the dream that you've placed inside of my heart. God, I pray that you'd awaken something in us. Just as we read that psalm that David had spoken, there's an awakening that took place there. And God, I pray for us tonight as a church that there would be an awakening that would take place in us tonight. God, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand as we sing? There's prayer teams up here if you would like somebody to join you in prayer.
Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.